This podcast and its contents are not endorsed or sponsored by CBS Studios Incorporated or The Good Fight. This week, we've launched right into another legal stoush. Reality and fiction blur as the firm takes on a reality TV assault case. The show, Chicago Penthouse, a little bit like The Bachelor, has been accused of being complicit in the sexual assault on one of its contestants for ratings. There's also a ricin scare in the building, which sends the firm into a spin. And all the pressure really starts to take its toll on Diane. Isn't this on network TV? Yeah, big pixelated. Gather your legal briefs and put your fists up. This is the Good Fight SBS fan podcast. It's our weekly discussion about the TV drama The Good Fight. It's our deeper dive into the show with an exploration of the real world stories that do influence The Good Fight. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm one of the editors here at SBS. I look after a TV site called The Guide. Joining me each and every week is my good pal, SBS Life Deputy Editor, Sarah Malik. Hello, how's it going? Sarah, doing incredibly well. <laughs> this week, i got to say, I'm deep in again. I'm, it's so redundant me saying I'm excited about the show because yeah. every week I tend to dig it. But They yeah. really brought it this week. I felt like it just dived right into a legal stoush that just felt really fresh and it just completely absorbed me from the beginning. Um, so I think this is like a good, a really good direction for the show. Like the Maya stuff is over and now we're back into the kind of the, the grind of the show and just the work the firm that does every week. Yeah, yeah. I think the show is completely at its strength when it is episode of the week, story of the week driven. Yeah. I do like the continuing story arcs that happen, but I really like when the show delves deep into a real world issue and examines it from a good fight perspective. But last week we were talking really heavily about Maya because mm. that was the big court case for her last week. This week we actually got to see her as a real person. Yeah. She's sort of free of the bounds, the confines of her storyline and she got to interact and she was hanging out with Marissa. And last week, okay, here's I, the thing. I thought it was quite funny though because she's kind of reeling now. Like she's like, oh, um, it's all over now. What do I do? Like she's kind of roaming around the office as the person who doesn't have much to do and then like they just throw in like a whole other intense story arc. So <laughs> it doesn't really end for her, does it? Not really, although yeah. it was really just the short-lived afternoon giving us something yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. Just a bit of a, you know, chemical attack scare. Yeah, on last week's show, I was talking about how much I like the female friendships on the show because mm. they really do pair up usually two of the female characters coming from the good wife into the good fight. They've really been good about creating those dynamics, the duo that really create that friendship foundation for the series. And last week I was excited because it looked like it was going to be Diane and Liz that, that actually have a bit of an older female friendship. This week it looks like it's playing out more between Maya and Marissa. And that, because that's probably fairly similar in age and I guess temperament, maybe we're starting to see the two of them play well off each other. So that was kind of fun. But the Diane-Liz dynamic, completely different. And I read it totally different. You were on it. You nailed I, it. I was on it. I picked this. <laughs> I was like fist pumping. And I told you something this morning to Dan. Yeah, I, I completely read it. Like um, Liz's for concern and the way in which um, she kind of took her intimacy and used it against her. You know, I think it was very subtle and it was something that I don't think it was very obvious, but I definitely picked it and you could see that kind of play out in this episode too, where Diane really gives her a, a F you, you know. Like, quite literally. Um, <laughs> that's right. She just stumps in there. And um, I think, yeah, it's, it is interesting to remember that, you know, it's not just about friendships, but, you know, they're also competing with each other in a really high stakes game. That is the law um, and this, this really prestigious firm. So 
the fact that Liz really used um, her intimacy and her vulnerability against her in that way at work, it just struck me. And I remember mentioning it to you last week and you were like, oh, no, it's fine. They're well, pals. But no, I was like, no, something's up here. No, no um, I totally <clears throat> understood where you were coming from with mm. it. It was really just that I was looking at it from a broad series perspective. Yeah. And it dawned on me that the show is so much about these female friendships. That's right. That looked like they were laying the foundation for that. And I think the misdirect, which threw me completely, was that they very deliberately set up their friendship in a wine bar mm. because that was always the way that they established their female friendships in The Good Wife. And even in The Good Fight when uh, you had Luca having like drinks with Colin, like they set it up in a wine bar and that's kind of how you establish the relationships in the program. But they misdirected me entirely. So yeah. I just built that <laughs> assumption thinking, no, this is what they always do in the show. But yeah, as we see in this... Uh, we've got Liz, who clearly has an agenda, which isn't necessarily to build a friendship. It's to do something else. And last week, I couldn't work out what that motivation was for her, like mm. why she'd actually want to turn against Diane and try to build her up, but also bring her down. Because don't forget, the way the last episode ended was completely her talking to Adrian Bozeman, saying, Adrian, we need to bring her in here as a partner. Mm. Okay. And I looked at that and thought, well, she's striking a friendship. She wants to build up Diane's power base. Like, to me, that's pure friendship. This is what that's about. I couldn't see what the gameplay was. But what I think it is, after having seen this episode and the way that Liz undermines Diane to Adrian, and it's just like very gentle sniping about, oh, you know, Diane had to go home. She's not feeling great. Subtle move, which builds over a period of time, those things start to add up. What I think it is, it's completely her trying to retaliate against Adrian for whatever personal relationship issues they've had in the ah. past. Because don't forget ex-husband and wife. So yes. there's clearly a reason that that broke up. So what I think mm -hmm. the reason is, you've got three named partners. You've got Bozeman. You've got uh, Liz Lawrence. Is she going by, she's going by Reddick. Yeah, I think so. This. Yeah, so her father's name. So it's, as you saw on the signage, and they didn't make a big deal about it, but it's Bozeman, Reddick, and Lockhart. So Diane is now the named partner on it which we assumed is where it's heading, but they didn't make a big deal saying so this. So do you think she's trying to undermine it. Adrian by... I think absolutely. So okay. she comes in, she takes Diane Lockhart out of the position, mm -hmm. creates a boundary between her and Adrian Bozeman, and then once Diane is incredibly weak and on her way out, she then quits the firm, leaving Bozeman behind as the only name partner. God, that is... I think that's what's happening. Really? That's Machiavellian. And what would be her purpose in basically destroying the firm? Just to get to Adrian, I think. <laughs> Oh, like, that's what I think is happening. But next week, I'll probably be wrong again. Yeah. And it'd be an entirely different thing we're looking You're at. You're right, though, because with some of the other characters or some of the other pairings, you did sense, like with um, Luca and Colin, um, she wasn't sure if she could trust him. And that kind of played out in you also not knowing where Colin was coming from. And then eventually realizing through her own relationship with him that he was a good guy. So, um, yeah, I thought that that build up was really left the viewer a little bit shocked by her current kind of maneuverings. Um, and yeah, you don't even know really where it comes from at all. So it'll be interesting to see that play out in the season. Like what is Liz's agenda? You know, what's her deal? Um, was it a mistake to bring her in? Because, you know, I really assumed that Barbara was the annoyance, you know, but Barbara seems like a lamb compared to Liz now. <laughs> like she just seems like, oh, like Barbara was always kind of really worried about the firm and, and the culture of the firm and her wariness of Diane, I think, was motivated with a feeling of protecting the firm. I mean, obviously we were invested in Diane because she's the main character and saw Barbara through her eyes a little bit. But yeah, like compared to Barbara, I thought she was the bad guy. Liz is like the kind of villain that's shaping up in, in the show. Two fun guest stars this week. Uh, first of all, Rob Reiner playing Judge Josh Brickner. Mm -hmm. Now, I really like the I love way his sass. <laughs> 
<laughs> very great. sassy. And I thought it was really fun having him the week after we saw Judge Abernathy. Yeah. Who Judge Abernathy's a very caring, <laughs> wants to really get involved in the emotional sort of liberal stakes of what the case is. Oh my God, he's so funny. Brickner does not give a damn. No. Doesn't care about the lawyers. But I really liked where you saw the switch in him from not really caring about the case at all. But then clearly he'd watched the supplied tapes of the (laughs) reality show and got really involved in the relationships of the people on... What was the show called? It was um, the Chicago, Chicago Penthouse. Penthouse. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of like, I like how they showed that funny scene between the investigators where he's poo-pieing Marissa's interest in the reality show and she's like, don't act so above it all. We all have our guilty pleasures and we all get invested in these shows, which are so silly, but they're kind of like junk food. You just... I don't know. It's like a little vortex that you get into. And Speak for yourself. I watch nothing but the finest of premium dramas. <laughs> yeah, it's only, only, only great art for you, darling, right? Absolutely. So, you know, all these shows, like, they feed an audience and um, we all pretend that we don't like them or don't watch them, but we do. So that I, was funny. I should say, as much as I joke, I actually don't watch these shows. <laughs> The only reality show that I've ever found, my, well, there's two reality shows I've kind of gotten hooked into. I had a period I was watching The Amazing Race for a while. I loved Amazing Race. Sorry, the Emmy Award winning Amazing Race. Oh, God. And uh, it had to be Emmy <laughs> Award winning for you to deign to like watch it, right? Absolutely. Uh, and the other one, and you know, I'm just guilty of this as a lot of the people in the world, Survivor. Yes, I love Survivor too. Such a but- good format. But I'm not a fan of the relationships, reality based things. Yeah, with- it's, it's getting a bit tired, to be honest, the format. Yeah. Um, um, and it's just, it plays on really tired tropes and stereotypes that I just don't even think operate anymore. Like, I think it's just, it doesn't even make sense. It will be interesting watching the way that the Me Too movement is going to shift the sexual politics and dynamics that exist within a lot of reality shows. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a bit of catch up where yeah. for the next year or two, we're going to keep seeing the same tropes. But I think there's going to be a shift in those shows. And I do wonder whether when these shows become more quote unquote woke, whether that's actually going to maybe take away from some of the soapy fun of watching the programs. It'll just be fascinating to see the way the audiences react to it as time goes on. Yeah, because I don't think you can completely ignore it. Like the movement has, like it's affecting all spheres of life, you know, and and people are speaking about their experiences. And so I think that there'll be less tolerance for the shenanigans of TV shows that dismiss that or kind of play into really disturbing and problematic relationship dynamics or celebrating that. And I think that we saw that in Married at First Sight, I think. Um, There was that Channel 9 show where there was uh, one of the contestants who, I mean, for ratings, they played up his really disturbing attitudes towards women. And so I just think like, it was interesting how they were showing that it really- Sorry, is this the guy that ended up dumping the girl right towards the end? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Or am I getting confused with The Bachelor? No, this was Married at First Sight. Yeah. So I don't watch the shows. I'm just going off other people talking (laughs) about them. All right. Um, I think um, what I liked about the show was that it was kind of dissecting how these shows make big money. It's actually really about money and how... Oh, yeah, because they're cheap to produce, oh. but, you know, they bring in the ratings. Yeah, and, and they basically um, lock people up into these contracts where they give up all their rights for their 15 minutes of fame. And I think that that was a really interesting commentary on the obsession with fame and how people will do anything to, to be on TV. Yeah. Let's talk about that just in a little bit because we want to go deep into the uh, Chicago Penthouse program. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that in some depth. I also just wanted to flag with the Rob Reiner character, Judge Josh Brickner, which I cannot say, Judge Josh Brickner did it. (laughs) 
there was a funny moment where he threw the books on the ground mm. to sort of mimic the sound of like gunfire because all the lawyers are very nervous right now because yeah. there's been what like five lawyers that have been killed in the last two weeks in the mm. show. You can feel the tension. You can feel like everyone's more jumpy. I think that's affected their swagger in court. Well, see, that's the thing. I don't think it has affected their court swagger. And that's what I thought maybe felt a little bit hinky about the show in that you've got moments where these characters are acknowledging that there's this threat against them, mm. which comes into play with the ricin, which we'll chat about in a sec. But at the same time, like it's not really impacting upon their professional acumen. Yeah, you know, I, th I have another theory on this. So I think there's this tendency with all the really traumatic cases that they take on and the stresses of the job to kind of have a bit of bluster, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, they have a laugh about it and they just carry on as usual. And I think with Diane in this episode that we see that actually all of that does take its toll. And if you don't deal with it, then it comes out in really strange ways. Which what, like seeing our President Trump, like, <laughs> what do you do? He befriended a potbelly pig? She's, yes, she's, she's obviously seeing things on TV and blurring. Uh, we don't know if it's drug related or not. And yeah, like I think that it does kind of play into sometimes when your work and your personal and your professional life and the internet world and the real world kind of blurs together. It's really hard to distinguish what is what? So I think that that's um, really interesting. Now, I presume that the reason why Diane's acting a little bit sort of kooky mm. is because of whatever the specific uh, drug that she's doping herself with. Yeah. Because I think that's playing out in the next couple of episodes. Because remember at the bar, yeah. there's the bartender who turns around at the end and says, can I organize something a little bit harder for you guys? And that's the same guy from the catering gig in the first episode, isn't mm. he? I think so. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. I meant to go back and just check the act. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. I, look, I think she's just over it. You know, and it's. I, really... I don't think it's that. I think it's actually something in the drug that's just been handed. Yeah. So I, I think, think I think it's really heightening like that. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, just emotionally, I think that she's she's just had it. You know, and it's really shocking to see because, uh, like I told you, I think last week I've been I've started to watch The Good Wife, and she is a boss. Like she is this really controlled, um, fierce senior presence, and to see her kind of deteriorate in this way. Um, it, it's really shocking because she's not an ordinary character. She's not a junior associate. She's someone who has been in the law and has been the top of her game. So I think that's been um, really, really intriguing to see. Um, yeah. Uh, the other fun guest star this week, we had Christine Larty. I think it's the first time we've seen her in a good fight. I don't think she was in season one, but she's a character that you saw occasionally as a lawyer within The Good Wife and deals a lot with Hollywood-related cases. And she plays a lawyer named Andrea Stevens. I'm a huge fan of Christine Lardy. I wish that she was in more things. And I wish that I'd bring her into the good fight more. Mm. Even if she joins the firm, I think it's a bit hard with that character because she does represent Hollywood studios and they're based out of Chicago. So it's probably not so easy to make her transition over. But Christine Lardy, I used to love back in the day where she was on Chicago Hope. And Christine Lardy was famous for winning a couple of Emmys for that role on Chicago Hope. And there was a moment where they called out her name to accept her award, but she didn't come up to the stage. She was present, but she was in the ladies' room. <laughs> and so that became like the recurring joke for the next two or three Emmys of, you know, is Christine Lardy available to come and collect the award? But yeah, I, I, love she's, got that she's, really she's got that really familiar face. Like I think she's in a lot of things and she's really well known. And you know when you're watching a show and you're like, where do I know that person? And you're trying to pick it. And she's got a really great presence, I agree. Um, and I just love the way the show is just platforming older actresses like and just letting them shine and 
like show their skills. Um, I love that. Well, not just actresses. Like there's a lot of older actors of whom are getting their shot in this show as well. Yeah. Lots of great New York character actors. Yeah, and it's really like um, it's about their character and their presence and the gravitas that they bring to the role and the emotional depth and and that's really what acting's about, you know. Um, it's just such so refreshing. I feel like there's so many shows filled with these kind of really super young kind of plastic-looking people and it's not enough to build the emotion for, for a drama, you know, and, and it's great to see a show like this which is so character-driven and so emotion-driven and has just these great actors who bring that to the fore. Yeah. I really enjoyed the Maya and Marissa storyline where they've got the Ryzen-type powder coming to the office. Yeah. One, I think that ties in nicely to the kill-all lawyers and brings the threat really close to the legal firm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. But it gave the opportunity for both of them to have a really sort of interesting heightened drama moment. Because mm. outside of courtroom drama, it's hard for the show really to find those moments of peril. Yes. So I mean, obviously in the courtroom, sometimes people are maybe going to jail for the rest of their lives. So you've got that real intense high stakes but it's hard to really apply that elsewhere. Whereas they actually had a life or death situation in the office. Mm -hmm. That was fun to watch. I really liked watching the flirty banter between Marissa and the guy who came in. Huge fun. And I liked it at the end because Marissa is a character who has a huge amount of swagger. Yes. Okay. You don't always get to see it, but every so often I'll give her that episode where she just gets to be in full flight, great form. And you saw that right at the end of the episode where he ended up, she ended up convincing the guy, you know, not really verbally, but, you know, just using her feminine charms to get him interested in her in a difficulty sort of situation where he was really there for Maya. So I kind of like that moment where they get into the elevator and then just go the full pash as the doors are closing. Huge fun. I love it. I mean, I love the fact that they got to bond through this kind of high pressure situation. And I also love kind of showcasing Marissa, like you yeah. say, like she's such a great character. She's my favorite she's character. She's so like smart and she's so like quick on her feet and witty. And to have that play out in the banter and in her kind of playfulness and in her kind of game, you know, I love it. Like I love watching it and seeing it. And it just really adds a energy, I think, to the show that sometimes, yeah, some of the other characters, the older characters, it can get quite heavy. So I think that she's a really, like a youthful presence that's really vibrant and um, yeah, really fun to watch. This week on The Good Fight, there were two major real life issues that I think we can explore this week while discussing it. Uh, the first one is Ryson. Mm. Now they received that envelope, which it turns out to be baking powder. The thing is that as a threat to any organization or company, sending an envelope of ricin-type powder mm -hmm. is maybe one of the most effective ways of getting to people because you're talking about an office environment where if an envelope is sent through the mail system, mm. it touches so many points of contact throughout it, yeah. usually goes through mail rooms, usually goes through multiple staff before it hits the desk of the person you want. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's concerning that so many people could potentially be affected by the chemical agent. Mm. But then you've also got the fact that when you open it up and they explore this in a show, you're in an office environment where air conditioning systems mm -hmm. are huge problems for this. Yeah. So it's a really scary threat. Like just the idea of someone sending a biological like weapon at you yeah. is hugely troubling and scary enough in itself. And I really felt for the two women in this where they were, you know, right at the throat, like head of it. Yeah. Maya uh, had, you know, been exposed with her hand. Meanwhile, Marissa had actually opened the envelope and possibly <laughs> inhaled it. So, you know, hugely scary if it actually turned out to be what it was. Yeah. Now, ricin being ricin, 
we knew that these two weren't at threat because we would lose two beloved characters very early into the run <laughs> of the gonna series. They're not going to die. They're going to live. This has to play out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the tension and the way they got everyone else out of the building, mm. like that really heightened it. Yeah. Look, I think the the show this season um, and just generally, um, it's not for the faint hearted, you know, for those people who are anxious about the world. It's all about there's so many different ways people can do damage, um, you know, through cyber attacks, through chemical attacks, through online attacks, through trolling. Like I think it really plays to the hyper security, hyper vigilant kind of world that we're living in where this is the reason why there's so much overkill and precautions because of the fact that we do live in this this environment of fear, you know. So it wasn't just the fact that that racing was real, but it was the threat that it was real. That Absolutely. was so scary. Um, and you see that now, you know, like in in so many media companies and you know, there's so much more security than yeah. there used to be because there is that real fear that you just don't know how that um, security can be breached. It's not even just media companies though. It's any media, any organisation mm. that has a public face. Yeah. And the thing that makes it so scary is that the people of whom are usually receiving the mail isn't necessarily the person who's in charge of the organization making the choices or decisions that's ticked off whoever the person is mm. making the threat, but rather people of whom are more likely to be the victims of it are receptionists and people of whom are taking care of the more administrative tasks within a building. Like those are the ones that actually end up becoming the victims of these. And these are the everyday people. So I think we all sort of fear that element of, you know, what if one day you do open an envelope and there's something like it in there? Mm. It's a tangible fear that we have. And because we have heard about this happening a fair bit around the world. Not really in Australia. I don't remember hearing an incident of that locally. No. Uh, but I was doing some research because I wasn't really too sure when people started receiving those envelopes. Like in my mind, it was post-September 11, there was anthrax being sent around. But Ryson specifically, I've heard of people opening envelopes with that. Uh, there was a number of attacks across the US that I came across. The first ones being in 2003, in October and November. And I reckon that when they were researching this for The Good Wife, they're probably looking at these two attacks because the letters that were sent were kind of similar. Uh, there was someone who went by the name of Fallen Angel and he sent two letters. One was in October of 2003 and one in November. The first one went to a mail sorting facility in South Carolina where they found it. Uh, the second one was sent to the White House, okay, but it never actually reached the White House. It went to a external mail sorting facility. That one was addressed to the president, whereas the other one, I'm not too sure what the deal was, but both times there was like a small metal vial, which there was actually rice in it, so it wasn't just a threat. Uh, but there was a letter, and I'm just trying to find the letter here. I thought I'd cut and paste it in. Uh, when you actually do look at it, it's kind of spaced, the second one particularly that he mailed, it was sort of spaced out in a very similar way as the way that the good fight presented that letter. And I think it even ended with something like, have a nice day at the end. Like, it just kind of seemed like this is very um, casual, I'm attacking you, but, you know, this is just something you've earned. It's not really on me. And that was the same vibe I kind of got from that letter in, a good, in the show. Yeah, and it ended up being an associate, you know. I think yeah. the, the ending to that that drama was really interesting as well. Like it was it was in-house and it was someone they, they didn't even expect and it wasn't even what it purported to be. Like it was a completely different um, motivation. So, yeah. And the cleverness of it being that guy because mm. he's someone we've never seen before. No. And in this show, because we've been introduced to so few characters outside of the core cast, we haven't really had the time for those occasional supporting characters to come through. They were very clever in spotlighting him right at the beginning of the episode when they're talking about the reality show that becomes the focus point of their case of the week. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that, you know, it is this huge firm and there's so many different players. And even though we're 
concentrating on a few key ones. They are also working and operating within this bigger machinery. And these people are under enormous amount of pressure. And and the fact that what's around them is also affecting them, you know, so it's not just we, we are invested in these characters, but they're also part of something a lot bigger That's right, um, that we're not always aware of. And because their actions, because they're the head of the firm, their actions have repercussions to all these other Yeah, you know, like these actions. are like the bosses, you know, like we're not following the small players. We're following the key players who are making the big decisions that are actually going to impact the firm long term. So, yeah. so um, when you we have an episode, insight into the, the yeah. inner circle really. So this is just kind of what's happening in the peripheries. And I think that that was interesting because you realise that, hey, like, yeah, these are actually really cool people and what they do and what they say has has so, so much massive impact on on the people that work for them. Yeah, and, so um, when you see in an episode Diane asking for a brief, mm. she's just asking for a brief, but it means that someone's probably going to have to put in like four hours of overtime to get mm-hmm. her that document. Yeah. So it's kind of that story. Let's move on to talk about reality TV. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know if we can talk about it, Dan, because you've already asserted that you are an Oni and Emmy award-winning high art fan. So I don't Look, know if you want to hang out with us plebs here, you know? Here's the thing. Um, reality shows are... <laughs> like eligible for Emmy Awards as well. <laughs> There's a category that I'm sure that people are very excited to okay. win. I mean, obviously at that point I go and fix myself a coffee or whatever. I'm, I'm not watching the just reality don't, awards. Don't even take part in it. No. Right. Uh, so the storyline that we're looking at here has an incident where a woman is sexually assaulted or claims to be sexually assaulted mm-hmm. on the set of this reality show. So the program feels very similar to The Bachelor or one of the – uh, what other shows are kind of like that? So The Bachelor or... Married at First Sight. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of American ones because mm, they would have been leaning on that. I think The Bachelor was what it was modelling yeah. itself on. The inspiration for this episode particularly is rooted in a season of Bachelor in Paradise, a show that I've never seen. Do you know Bachelor in Paradise? No, but I do know that um, the US version of The Bachelor is a lot more racy than Australia. So, yeah. I mean, I've watched parts of both of them and they're structured a little bit differently. So The Bachelor is a lot more, um, like it, it's it's much more dicey than the Australian yeah. version. Bachelor in Paradise, uh, though, is different to The Bachelor. I just don't know what the difference is between oh, the right. two. Oh, right. No, I don't know what that sub sub yeah. show is. My presumption is that it's just set in tropical locations and probably it's just a bit racier than regular Bachelor. Yeah. I'm not too sure though. If you know, send us a tweet and use the hashtag GoodFightSBS. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I'm genuinely curious and I'm too lazy to look it up myself. I'm sure it's probably on a wiki somewhere. <laughs> but there was a real life situation that took place last year during season four of Bachelor in Paradise and there was a contestant named Corinne Olympias of whom had reportedly been sexually assaulted. A producer had recognised that this was an issue and shut down the production. So they shut it down for a few weeks. She released a statement at the end saying that an investigation had taken place. She was happy with the findings of the investigation and she was happy to leave the matter at rest. Some changes had been made within the production of the show and she was happy to leave it at that. That was the public statement made. I don't really know what happened behind the scenes. And, mm. you know, I guess that's really for her to, you know, deal with. Uh, so we saw in this episode a very similar case as to what was originally alleged to happen here. Mm. But the notable thing to take away from it is it's all to do with consent. Mm. And there's lots of people on these reality shows who are consenting to things that they probably wouldn't in a regular real life environment. Mm. And the way that a lot of producers get these moments of consent to take place is by applying the contestants with a fair bit of alcohol. Mm-hmm. So this is apparently a routine thing that happens within reality shows. And they refer to it in the Good fire as what was it as a vodka buffet? Tequila buffet. I Sorry, think. tequila buffet. 
Absolutely right. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Uh, yeah, so it's a killer buffet. There was 12 different types of tequila, you know, for people to, you know, choose what they will. So the idea is you get people inebriated, mm-hmm. they become looser and, you know, a bit more TV friendly mm-hmm. at that point. I like there was the line in the episode where they asked whether or not the tequila buffet will continue on to season 14. I'm trying I to remember. So. How oh, 15. Had. 15. Yeah. Got to get those facts right. Yeah. Uh, season 15 of, what's the show called? Chicago Penthouse. Chicago Penthouse. How could I forget? <laughs> uh, yeah. And then they sort of tacitly admit, oh, you know, that won't be happening. Mm. And there was a nice little moment of, you know, victory within the proceedings. But they do use these buffets in real life. And yeah. so you've got people of whom are consenting to things that in no way would they ever be doing because sometimes they're so inebriated that they've actually lost their ability to make those active decisions. Yeah, I love how they were really exposing the the culture, the dicey culture that these producers kind of play in. And I think that really it was a commentary on the entertainment industry and how it's feeding this, this audience appetite in ways which are really unethical and dodgy. So not only these contracts which really basically take away all the rights of the contestants you know once they sign but also just the structure of how they get these people to do these things that kind of create these shows and and, and generate these massive ratings you know um I mean you know when you do work in media you do kind of realize how everything is constructed but I think audiences really think that things are playing out in a certain way like what they're watching is is reality but it's, it's, a so, constructed it's, reality. it's such a constructed reality and and I think that yeah it really kind of brought to the fore how so many of these practices can be so harmful to the people involved even if they are willingly participating in them like what does that participation mean really like are those people really fully aware of of the impact and the consequences of that participation especially if they're they're quite young or they haven't really thought through what that means or if their their consent um, was acquired through while they were um, under the influence so it really is kind of showing that that blurred line between um, how things are operating behind the scenes in in kind of creating these these shows. What I find really fascinating about the conversation that surrounds these programs is that in the last couple of years, we're all beginning to learn a little bit about the tricks as to how they get people to start behaving on these shows. Mm. And while a lot of viewers are still buying into the constructed reality of them, we are a bit more cognizant as to exactly how it is that these moments are being achieved. Mm. And what I think is really fascinating is that you're not seeing that awareness coming from, say, you know, a current affairs show exploring this sort of a thing. Rather, it's coming from scripted drama series. Mm. Something about the show Unreal, which has really done a lot to open up people's eyes as to how these shows are made. Uh, there's also a few other sort of uh, fake reality programs like that. And things like The Good Fight, where they do explore these issues. You're not seeing it from anywhere else. Occasionally, you might see a BuzzFeed-style article about it. But outside of that, no one's really talking about it. And for a media format that's so pervasive in so many viewers' lives... It's just interesting that there's not a large discussion about the ethics and the motives of uh, setting up the shows the way they actually are. Yeah, look, I mean, I know that reality shows have been around for a long time and, you know, initially there was this huge outcry around what does this mean and and that's kind of played itself out. But I think that the boundaries are just continuing to be pushed, like even more recently. And um, it's becoming a lot more problematic now with our online culture and how these things have a lot much longer life or they have the ability to be disseminated in lots of different ways. And um, yeah, like I think that it's becoming, it's enroaching a lot more in our culture. It's becoming more pervasive, less drama, more reality. And the implications of what that means for the people participating has not really been fully, I think, always discussed. Yeah. So a lot of the reading I was doing about Bachelor in Paradise, it really felt like the 
writer of the show had put in a fair bit of research and understood exactly what had taken place there in order to construct the fictional storyline that happens within The Good Fight. Yeah. But I was doing some reading up on the actual writer. His name was uh, Joey Hartstone. Now, he's actually a former producer on Project Runway. So it's a different type of reality show, but he certainly understands the way that a reality show is constructed. So I thought that the episode rang really true to that. Now, Hearthstone, just as a side point, he's actually kind of interesting, and you can see so many elements of this episode brought in because of him. So not only do you have the reality TV show storyline, but he also wrote a film recently for Rob Reiner. So Rob Reiner, who you guessed that in the episode, he directed a film last year called Shock and Awe, which is about a group of journalists of whom are covering the Bush government's uh, planned invasion of Iraq back in, was it 2003? And it's about the journalists being skeptical about the claims that there were weapons of mass destruction involved. So very politically charged. So you can kind of see a writer of the good fight that feels like a very strong connection. And Rob Reiner, who's a very politically active uh, person generally, uh, it sort of ties into a lot of his interest areas. So just kind of interesting seeing that connection as to why Rob Reiner had appeared in this role on the good fight. I love the fact that every episode you just have all these guest stars that particularly as the lawyers, as the judges. Yeah, I, I so wanted to channel channel him. Like I was, I loved him like smashing that gravel and just having that authority in the courtroom. And yeah, it's great that these guest stars kind of add a real like dimension to the show that really add another layer to the characters that already exist. Definitely, I think this is the end of the episode. Okay, I think we're here, Sarah. Thank you very much for chatting. Good fight with me. We'll be back next week to talk more good fights. Sarah, you're on Twitter. Where do people find you? So I'm at Sarah B. Malik. So hit me up and let's continue the conversation online. Indeed. Uh, people can find me at the Dan Barrett. And we do want to chat about the good fight with you. So if you're on Facebook or Twitter, hashtag good fight SBS. You can have a chat with us there. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. If you don't like the podcast, just keep your opinions to yourself. It's fine. Don't affect our score. It'll be all right. Don't forget The Good Fight. It airs every Wednesday night in Australia on SBS at 9.40pm. You can stream episodes after they air on SBS On Demand. And while you're at SBS On Demand, you've got a few more weeks, I think, to watch The Good Fight, the first season. So if you haven't watched all of that yet, you can give it a go. It's right there, ready for you to watch anytime. We'll be back next week. More Good Fight conversation. I can't wait. Sarah, thank you very much. And folks, keep on fighting The Good Fight. See you next week.